Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Well, Pelicans fans, at least now it's over. No more worrying about Zion. Is he going to play? Is he going to be mentally tough enough to play? Is he slim enough to play? You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about getting your hopes up to getting in as the eight seed and trying to win a game at Minnesota on Friday. Because your New Orleans Pelicans said, let's do something good for the fans. Let's just go ahead and put them out of their misery and lose at home to a team that we beat three games to one during the regular season. A team with a ton of inexperience and a lot of young players. And we'll just go ahead and get it out of the way. And that way you can go ahead and enjoy the rest of your weekend. A tip of the cap to the New Orleans Pelicans for that. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, who had already kind of had resigned to the fact that his team was going to lose. And it's more of relief this morning for him than it is anything else. We'll get to his comments a little bit later. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. You know we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. So the Pellies go out there. They're at home. They got all the red shirts for free over the seats for the fans. Had a nice crowd on hand inside the Smoothie King Center to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Winner gets to play another game on Friday at Minnesota and win that game, and you're into the playoffs. The Pels did this last year, right? They won the play-in tournament, got themselves into the actual NBA playoffs, and did so without Zion, who, by the way, told us a few days ago that mentally he's worried about himself. Uh, He wrapped up warm-ups out there doing windmill dunks, but didn't play. That's a discussion we'll have for a later day. And... They're taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, we had laid the groundwork for this for about a week, saying, hey, this isn't like last year, because last year they were taking on a team that was 14 games under 500. Oklahoma City Thunder 
were a team that was not 14 games under 500. And it showed. And it was another one of those games that the Pelicans should have won, just like they should have won the regular season finale at Minnesota, yet they found a way to lose. Playing game winners. Lakers scored 108 points. Bulls scored 109. Hawks scored 116. The Thunder scored 123. The most points scored by any play-in game winner so far. What happened to the defense? It didn't show up. They had no answer for Oklahoma City's dribble penetration. None. You would have thought they had never had to defend dribble penetration ever because they had no clue. They had no clue. Couldn't do anything about it. Thunder took it to them. Had no idea. They let a guy named Josh Giddy come into their house. A guy some have described as looking like the best player from the opposing school in a Disney sitcom. Come into their house and bully them. And say, uh, I don't care about your home court advantage. I don't care about all your red shirts. I don't care about your passionate fan base desperate for something to cling to. And he just came in and just bullied them. The Pelicans were in third place back on January 1st. One game out of first. And they failed to reach the playoffs. B.I. gives you 36-7. and seven, But SGA got himself 32. D'Lo warned you about that. That... He was going to get his. Giddy then went 31, 9, and 10. As the Pels fall 123 to 118. The Thunder, meanwhile, who have a nice young core and a really a great young star in SGA. A quick reminder that the Oklahoma City Thunder have two first-round picks this year, four next year, four the year after, three the year after that, and two the year after that. Oh, and they've been missing their 2022 number two overall pick, Chet Holgram, all season. I think things are going to turn out pretty well in Oklahoma City. I think they have a direction. But losing the game... When you're the more veteran team at home, you have more playoff experience. And to lose to a young team that, by the way, played with more discipline, poise, and was better coached. Perfect way to end the season. It's just the perfect way, the explanation point, if you will, on the Pelicans' season. 
They did win six more regular season games than they did a year ago. But they bow out in the first postseason game after going 4-4 four and four in the postseason last season. I mean, just look how they played down the stretch. In this game. Like, what was going on? The decisions and the lack of execution, not optimal. The final two minutes, they were up two, by the way, with the ball. Here's your sequence. B.I. turnover. B.I. then made a bucket. C.J.E. McCollum, turnover. B.I. had a miss. B.I. then made one of two free throws. B.I. makes a three. I just, you watch it, you watched how it went down, you saw what was happening, and you just kind of felt it. And Herb fails to complete an inbounds pass to CJ after OKC makes two free throws, and that's how the Pelican season comes to an end. Seems like a fitting end. They let Lou Dort come in and absolutely cook them in the first half. What? What? They give up a career high to Giddy. It just wasn't CGA. They allowed the other Thunder players to come in and bully them. The Thunder is what? Maybe two two years ahead of schedule? You had the more experience. And you lost. But it seems fitting. This is a team that had a chance to already be in the playoffs. This is a team that had a chance to be higher in the playing tournament. They would have just taken care of business. We can blame everything on Zion being injured. That's the easy excuse. Well, Ray, RP3, if they had Zion, it'd be different. Look what happened in the beginning of the season in October and November, RP3. Look what happened. Outstanding. We've never seen these guys play together long enough to know if they would have been able to sustain that success. That's one. Two, Every team goes through ebbs and flows in a season. Three, this team without Zion last year won the play-in tournament and made it to the playoffs. And you essentially brought everyone back. So the excuse of, well, they don't have Zion, well, that didn't matter last year when they made the playoffs. Fundamentally, There's things wrong with the team. We look on paper and we say, that's a heck of a roster. They got a lot of nice pieces. Yeah, they do. Do they all fit together? Mm. Do they make good decisions together as teammates? Mm. Are they good together in late game situations? Hmm. 
Why does Willie hate to play Valachunas more? Mm. There's the big one. That's the one right there. I, I, this team is flawed, and there's multiple flaws. The easy excuse to use is, well, Zion got hurt. But when you buy into that, you ignore the other fundamental flaws with this team. How they perform late in games. How they don't use Valachunas. How they don't use Kyra Lewis. By the way, we got to see him last night. All of a sudden, we got Kyra Lewis Jr. playing tournament minutes. What? What was that about? Why did CJ regress? Is he injured? Probably the thumb has has something to do with that. Yes. Also, shoulder issues, potentially surgery coming there. I, I'm less less concerned about CJ, more concerned about the usage of certain guys, specifically Valanciunas. Because the rotation is is worrisome. I told you throughout the week that I thought Valanciunas was the X factor, and and what did he do early? He dominated inside. He's the only reason you were in the game. He was the only reason you had an early lead. It, I mean, he was. They had no options defensively. Jalen Williams, one of the two Jalen Williams had no chance inside against Valanciunas. We saw that the entire first half. And then you go these long stretches of the third quarter without ever playing him, and it doesn't make any sense. He and didn't then, put up a single shot in the third. And and they had no answers. Like He and didn't I, put up a single shot in the third. I think the problem sometimes is that Willie Green reacts too much to what the opposition is trying to do instead of playing his game with his guys. Because what happened is when they took their center out, they essentially matched that and took out Valanciunas. And that's been what his reasoning has been well, they went small, so I took them out. Who cares? You still have the matchup You're not advantage. a good defensive team anyway, so it doesn't matter that you're losing out on some defense inside with Valanciunas. Go, let him dominate inside, get him paint touches, and then again, once they start having to collapse, how much easier is it going to be for Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum and everyone else offensively? So that's the, the only thing, and I mean, you know, the good news is, again, like, I, I'm not... The fact that they won the play-in tournament last year and didn't win it this year, it's one game. Like, these tournaments are one-game situations, you know. that. So I don't really buy much into that being a factor as far as whether they progressed or regressed or not. Um, they won four playoff games last year, but okay, continue. Yes, but that's because they had four playoff games to play. But I'm saying you lose a one-game situation. They didn't lose a series this year. One game, it's, it's, it's one game in basketball. It can go either way. My point being, they have the pieces in place – and do they have the coach in place? I, I think there's more good than bad with Willie Green. So I think, you you know, he's certainly got to look in the mirror and figure some things out in the offseason. Do um, they have the pieces in place to be a championship contender? I think they have the pieces in place to, I don't know about championship contender, but playoff contender, yes, which is the next step in the progression. Again, if look, if Zion goes through this injury situation next year and he doesn't play and he's not available, then you know, you're going to have to reevaluate everything and that's that's going to have to happen. But for now into the offseason, I think it's a clearer offseason than some of the ones in the past. It's a lot like last year. There's going to be a couple of moves made here and there. Personally, I, you know, there's going to be a decision made about Valanciunas. I like him and I think you can build around him. Um, I think he can be the center in the middle. The other thing is if if you knock if you're going to go away from Jackson from Jackson Hayes and Valanciunas as a, as a duo, where are you going to go? So that's kind of the, maybe the biggest question roster-wise right now. Um, but you figure everyone else is going to be back and everyone else is going to be under contract. And, you know, you have some of your key uh, role players that will have some decisions to be made there. But overall, I mean, you're in an okay spot to run it back and see if you can do what you were supposed to have done this year with health. 
And, you know, look, they've been in that spot for a while now. But um, uh, that, that's, that, that's the bigger point. Right. And I begrudgingly agree with you, but I'm not happy about it. Because my gut tells me you're going to see more of the same. I don't know if this team can be healthy. <clears throat> it's always somebody being injured. Can this team be healthy enough to see what their potential is? Yeah, I don't know. Like we're banking on year five. It's gonna. It's, we're gonna figure it out. Year five with Zion and the guys. We're gonna figure it out. Okay. That's a heck of a commitment to figure out whether or not you can just be a playoff team. Because you said you had hesitation and you didn't say championship contender. You said the next step is playoff contender. So five years to be the sixth seed? No, my point would be the next step would be to be in the situation Denver and Memphis are right now, which is teams that on paper are championship contenders but haven't done it before in the playoffs because even if this team finishes in the top four okay that's the clarification I needed yeah because that's what we expected the Pels to be this year correct the expectation was to be a top three seed top three top four seed oh top top six but yeah I, I I didn't have quite as high expectations coming in once they were in first place at one point then you started to think okay maybe this could be it but coming into the season my goal for them was top six Spending a lot of money, spending a lot of assets to not have anything to show for it. And you can only do that for so long. And next year has to be the make and break year. It has to be. It has to be. You got to make a change. If, if these guys can't stay healthy, if you can't figure it out, if Griff is, you know, on his third coach and they still can't figure it out, uh, it's not going to happen. And I have immense trepidation that it is going to get figured out. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Pelicans lose 123-118 to to the Oklahoma City Thunder in the play-in tournament last night. Their season is over, 42-40. And, and it's come to a <clears throat> merciful end, hasn't it? <laughs> Look, if you're a Pelicans fan, I know you're upset. You're frustrated. You're disappointed. You had great hopes and dreams about this team. And yet year four ends with the Zion error and the David Griffin error with a thud yet again. That's called a trend, by the way. But maybe you need to look at it this way. 
You need to look at it as a positive. You need to be glass half full because they put you out your misery. No more stressing about the Pelicans. No more worrying about how they do things, how they don't do things, how they're incompetent with nearly everything they do. Roster management, coaching, execution, late in games. Now you can relax and enjoy yourself and enjoy the rest of the NBA playoffs and not have to worry about the team that you root for. You should be thanking the New Orleans Pelicans this morning. That's how Dawson feels. He feels thankful. He's restful. Doesn't have to worry about them now. He can look ahead to an offseason that's going to instill false hope into his veins that this team's going to be a championship contender. It's not. But now he can move on. The Pelicans did Dawson a favor. They did. He's appreciative. No more West Coast staying up start times. That, (laughs) and then we had this great, uh, which, you know, I I get get why it's done. The whole like we're gonna delay the game because the other game is going longer. But like, we have a scheduled start time here. Let's play it. We got ESPN. We we got more than one channel over on that network, right? (laughs) We could have thrown the first five minutes of the Pals game on two or you or Or News or Ocho or Plus or 17. Like, we have other ESPN networks, so. um, The man said 17. Like, I I would have been okay missing the first five minutes if that's what it took, but instead we delayed it. We started at, like, 9 o'clock, so that was frustrating for me. So I don't have to deal with that anymore, so that's good. Uh, my bigger takeaway from last night, though, and I tweeted this out uh, late last night, like, I completely forgot Chet Holmgren was just waiting in the wings for next season. Dude, he hasn't played. Right, and and, and I mean, I, I kind of was, you know, following, I followed last year's NBA draft a little more so than I usually do with the NBA stuff, and like, was really excited about Paulo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren, and, and Bencaro had a really nice rookie season, he had a game where he single-handedly took over against the Pelicans and beat them, um, but Holmgren... Again, now we think it's it's some raw talent there. It's maybe we don't know quite how ready he'll be right away. But like, you put him in the mix with that group, which Lou Dort. You're making fun of Lou. Dort. Lou Dort's a very good player at this point. Has turned himself into a solid player in the NBA. He has turned himself into a solid player. He came in and punked the Pelicans, though. Josh Giddy is also a very good player, and SGA is a superstar. Like in, SGA in the is making. a superstar. So and they have two first round. picks. And they're going to have two first round picks for the foreseeable future. So like at least two every year until twenty twenty seven. Now dude. again in the NBA, in my you know first round picks, I think get a little overrated at times because you you don't have a huge hit rate, and if you're not in the top ten, but Jackson Hayes. Oh, and and again, I. I, I still don't fault the pick for Jackson Hayes. I think the upside was always there and still is there. But but yeah, that that's a good point. Like you're not going to guarantee that you're going to add correct pieces. But if you hit on a couple of those along the way, when you're going to have again eight or nine chances in the next four years, and it gives you assets that they can use, they can package away. Yeah, to package, be, to maybe go get a vet if that they, they need. Become one piece away, like that Oklahoma City team, Sam is, Presti. They're about as set up as anybody is in that Western Conference right Man, now. SGA is just for the so next good. few years. Yeah, it's I mean so he's good. a. He's a legit guy, and and the same way that the Pelicans think or, or hope that Brandon Ingram and or Zion are those like center pieces, like SGA is that guy, and I mean the Thunder look, it's going to be an uphill battle for them. They still have to beat Minnesota tonight. It's talk, talking about this year. Uh, t- tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, and then you'd have that first round series waiting if they were to get to it. I like their chances against Minnesota now, and you know. Now, do you do, do you future. like that because of the matchup, or you do like do you like that because Minnesota has so much dysfunction? 
both. Uh, you know, both. I mean, the the big thing, though, is I don't know. It's going to have to be Jalen Williams is going to be who I guess is going to be up against Towns. Yeah. And with Gobert, you know, potentially back in there, I don't know if Oklahoma City has enough size. They could maybe use Chet Holmgren type guy that they're not going to have in this game. So that's a question mark. But like elsewhere, look, again, if Anthony Edwards plays the way he did against the Lakers, then Oh. You know, you got to like the Thunder's chances. Okay, I got to like their. Th- uh, I don't. Ex- we we don't expect Edwards to play like that though. Two games in a row, right? I wouldn't. But then, and again, the Thunder are now in a position like it's house money, like the Pelicans have been in, in the past, where you're not. They, their expectations have basically been met. They're ahead of schedule, and that's a team that's dangerous when you're playing like that. We talked about that throughout the LSU women's teams run in the tournament, right? Once you got to that point where they had won a couple games and. They had accomplished what they were expected to have. Then you start playing without fear and without, you mm-hmm. know, the pressure of, of anything being on your back. So, yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting team. And if they made it to the first round of the playoffs, I don't think they would beat Denver, but I think they'd win a couple of games in that series. So, um, really exciting young team. And, unfortunately, it came at the Pelicans' expense, but they seem like they are headed in the right direction. Poll question of the day is, how do you feel about the Pelicans' 2022-2023 season, which has now come to an end? Mercifully, thankfully, Dawson is relieved. My man is as relaxed as I've ever seen him since he's been a member, a player here with the game. My man is just easy breezy like it's Sunday morning around here. Here's your options on our poll question of the day. Relieved it's over. Very frustrated what I expected. How do you feel about the Pelicans 2022-2023 season? And right now, man, it is all over the place. 39% of the vote going for very frustrated. 39% of the vote going to what I expected. 22% say relieved it's over. Let's get to some early comments. Brody on Twitter says without Zion in the lineup, it's hard to have high expectations for the Pelicans. Brian says hopefully we can get a higher draft seed. Hart says, I genuinely feel this team has the pieces with or without Zion to be successful. But with that being said, their biggest downside has been rotations and lineups. Willie, to me, is a good fit for coach, but his decision-making has been questionable to say the least this season. I think Willie could really use a better bench. That should be a focus this offseason. We'll dive deeper into that, of improving the brain trust of the Pelicans bench coaching. I think that would aid Willie greatly entering year number three. By the way, my answer to this poll question would have been all the above. I didn't leave that as an answer because I wanted to make people choose, but mine would be all the above. Salty Steve says, no offense. My iPhone 14 is like the Pels 2023 season. The D isn't showing up when it's needed. Uh, that That is very true. I, I just... For a team that was so good defensively, right? They were right on the outside of the top 10 overall this year. They'd, they had moments where it just is just, just disappears inexplicably. Did so against Minnesota and then did so in the playing tournament last night against the Thunder. And you go, what happened? Like, like what happened? Poor Herb's out there just by himself. That's what it feels like a lot of times. Um, the notorious dub shared a, a gif of uh, Denny Green and Jim Moore, and well, it's golden. JPK the OD says, "Good to be Zion." And what other job can you c- come to work thirty percent of the time and make bank? 
when you're entering year five of your career and people are still talking about your potential, we have a problem. How big of a sample size do we need before we declare him a bust and move on? A lot of people are there, and I, I understand why they're there because it's been four years. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. How do you feel about the Pelicans 2022-2023 season? Relieved it's over, very frustrated, or what I expected. Vote, leave your comments, and you can also give us a call on the hotline. It is open. We love to hear from you. I assure you, D'Lo would love to hear from you. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on James to the show. James, good morning to you, brother. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, Mr. RP3. How about yourself? Man, I'm five by five, brother. I'm good. Hey, I want to talk about the Pelicans. Very. We lost James. James, we lost you. The call was dropped, brother. Give us a call back, my friend. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. Maybe that was just an analogy for the Pell season. It sounded like he had something really good and insightful to say, and then you just never got to hear it. That's like the Pelicans. They look really good, but then you never see the full product. <laughs> James was like, I got something really brief to say about the Pelicans. And then silence. Uh, that's pretty good. That's, that's, that's a pretty good. That's perfect, actually. <laughs> this is what I got to say about the Pelicans. Nothing. They're terrible. We got James back on the hotline. All right, brother, let's try this again, my friend. All right, I'll be quick. I didn't even want to talk about the Pelicans, but, you know, when Dawson gave the just wait till next year speech, you know, it struck a nerve for my youth of being a Saints fan in the 80s and 90s and, like, the last three years of the Pelicans. When's enough's enough? I'm done. But the two things I really want to talk about is it's only two weeks till the Saints draft, two weeks from today. We need to go get the big tight end. I stick with that. And then a bunch of defense. And the other thing that nobody's talking about, are we all ignoring just how unbelievable Shohan Otani is? I'm not even really a, a unbelievable you know, baseball fan, but he's bringing me back around where you just got to watch it. It's like if you're flipping through the channels and the Shawshank Redemption's on, you got to watch it. I got to watch the Angels now. I don't disagree with that. And, and no, look, uh, nationally, I, I think he doesn't get talked about as much regionally here than he does nationally. But he gets talked a lot nationally, and there's a lot of think pieces and articles and columns and discussions about him and, and about his greatness. So, yeah, he look, he is 
a generational talent, and he's something special. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a unicorn, man. I mean, even we, we say generational talent a lot, right? You see, he's, he's above that, and I just don't even know how to describe it. Again, you know, I'm, I'm a Mariners fan. You know that. It's a weird backstory there. I'll share over beer one day, but he's bringing me back to loving baseball. Is he going to bring you back to loving baseball when he goes and signs for with the Yankees in the offseason? <laughs> no, no, no. He's going to he's going to the Mariners, man. He'll be in the Mariners. Yes, I love that Down optimism. That Japan market. There it is, brother. Thanks for the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day. The likelihood of Otani staying in uh, Anaheim is very slim to me. Very slim. Yeah, but, you know, I think it's going to be weird. Also, not that we know what guys want that are American-born players and stuff, but, like, a lot of times when these foreign players come in here and, and what Otani did is, like, he's an international superstar. He's a bigger star in Japan than he is here. Which is hard to believe, but um, yes. Yeah, and, and so I think sometimes, though, those guys – Maybe have different ways of thinking of things, right? And so I don't, I don't necessarily know if he's if he would uh, be a take the highest bid situation. He type wants guy. to win. I think he wants to win too. He yeah, but to but so I think I think he's going to evaluate options. And I I mean it. I know you were you were halfway joking there with the Yankees comment, but I mean they'll be in play, of course, because they're going to write a check. But Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, you know, any of the big spenders are going to come after him hard. Yeah, and. It's going to boil down to where does he think he can win because he's a competitor and he wants to win. Right. And the way the Angels are ran, that ain't happening. But I'm glad James brought it up because, like, I I do think – I I think he can't be talked about enough. I do think he should be at the level that we talk about or, you know, that we did talk about LeBron in his prime about, like, how we haven't seen – like. And I, I agree as well. Like Generational talent is not enough to describe him because a generational talent is somebody who comes in once every 10 to 15 years, right? Like Mike Trout, I think, would be a generational talent. Um, Shohei Otani is different than that. He is better than that. He does. He's a generational talent twice in one time. Like He would be a generational talent as a pitcher, and he would be a generational talent as a hitter, and he's both. And so that's unbelievable. And, like, and you have to appreciate it for right now because he's not going to be able to do it forever. Right, and well, and the right. other thing too is that I, you know, if 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 he played outfield 162 games, I think he'd be one of the best defensive outfielders in the, in, in the game. Like, and he's uh, his speed on the base paths, like he does everything. He's a legit. You, you, they used to say five tool player. He's got way more than five tools because he also has a 100 mile an hour fastball and a slider that breaks, you know, out of this world. And so I I do think. It is a situation, and again, I, I I'm I'm like low key rooting for the, rooting for the Angels at times this year to at least finish second in the AL West behind the Astros because like the world deserves to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani play on the biggest stages on their teams and not have to do it for Team USA and Team Japan uh, because they're we're both we're watching two guys that one of them that only comes around every fifteen to twenty years and one of them that maybe comes around once every hundred or two hundred years like it's. It's that rare what Shohei's doing. I'd agree. Like, and not to ramble on here, but like when, you know, Babe by, Ruth. By all means. Babe Ruth was a pitcher and a hitter, right? And, and, and it was great. And some of the things he accomplished. And we've seen a couple of guys here and there. But, but in, he had to transition to being just a hitter. And in an era of specialization in which that's no longer, you know, propped up the way it once was. Like an era of you have high schools with pitchers only, you know, POs as they call them and stuff like that. Where, you have travel ball teams. Right. You have 12-year-old yes. kids that are being told you should focus on just pitching because that's what you're good at. 
So for in an era like that, for him to come up and do it, and then not only do it, but then say, get to the major league level and say, no, I still want to do both. Whereas, you know, I think, at least give the Angels credit about that, because I think a lot of organizations would, would have said, you're way too valuable as a pitcher, you're just going to pitch. Or you're way too valuable as an outfielder, you're just going to play I'm not going to give them credit, because that's how they were able to get them. I'm just saying, I that, think that's I, I, that, that, I think that so many that, places... that doesn't deserve credit because that was their way of getting him because they gave him the green light. If they wanted to get Otani, they knew they were going to have to let him do both. Well, but again, let's not re- forget that Otani, when he was being signed, there was a lot of interest and people knew what kind of talent he was. But Correct. there was a ton of doubt by a lot of people about A, I don't think he can do both or B, I don't think he can do one or the other good enough. And there wasn't like this, again, if everyone knew what they knew now, then the Yankees and Dodgers and those teams would have thrown the $100 million contract at him at the time they could have. So I think it is, you know, we don't have to give the Angels much credit. We won't. But I do think it's it's something that they at least saw and said, hey, I think the possibility is there for him to be, you know, special and, and do both. And it's unbelievable desperate that he's doing Desperate people do it. desperate things, yes. Yeah. So we can give them marginal credit. Who would have thought at 6.30 in the morning – We'd have a group discussion about pro-Angels talk here on RP3 and Company. I wasn't expecting that. I was wanting to talk about beer sales decreasing and teams losing money due to the games being shortened, and is that something that's going to change? But you said, you and James collaborated and said, no, no, let's talk about Otani because he doesn't get talked about enough. You know who would appreciate that segment? Kevin Foote. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt Kevin's up and, and listening at, at this moment, but um, you'd be I'll, surprised. I'll, well, maybe he is, and, yeah, I, and if he surprised. is, I'll recap the conversation. If he's not, I'll recap it for him and get his thoughts. I know Look, what he's going to say, though. Otani is special, and for baseball, I know we got to hit a break. To have the unicorn that they do can get people to the game, can bring people in. So that is also important in the bigger scheme of things. Here's someone unique. That's the guy when he comes to your town, you're probably going to want to make sure to buy tickets to go see, right? Because it's like the the biggest pop star or rock star coming to town on tour. That's what that is. That's important for the game as well. We got to take a timeout. We'll put the Otani love aside briefly. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Strohs getting a win last night, and we'll try to touch on the subject I wanted to talk about, but the producer extraordinaire said, your subject sucks. Get it out of here. (laughs) That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Houston Astros got themselves a win to get closer to 500. 
shutting out the Pirates 7 to nothing yesterday. A little day baseball that you get to listen to right here on the game. Jose Urquidy, boy, man, he looked great yesterday, didn't he? Six innings, no earned runs, two strikeouts. He was dealing. The Astros pitching staff combined to give up only three hits. That was it. Two of them Urquidy gave up, and that was it. Neris Abreu and Blanco all came in, gave them scoreless, three scoreless innings on top of it. Nice job by the bullpen to come in and close the door. And you got nice production. McCormick, once again, boy, he looks really comfortable in the leadoff hitter role, doesn't he? Two or two for four yesterday, two runs scored. Drew a walk as well. Bregg's got a hit, which was a home run there in the seventh. He's starting to turn a corner. Kyle Tucker. Abreu had two hits. I made fun of Rich Hill for being 43, which, by the way, I do want to give him mad respect for being out there 43 years old, and he actually pitched pretty well. Now, the Astros won the game, and he gave up a couple. But six innings, a couple of runs at 43, I mean, impressive stuff what Rich Hill's doing. So wanted to wanted to go ahead and give him some love after I kind of made fun of him being 43 yesterday. Well, what's what's wrong with people being 43 Nothing or 44 wrong at all. years old? Nothing but... wrong at all. I simply was trying to relieve Kevin Foote. I told him, look, they're facing an ARP member on the mound, and they'll be fine. <laughs> And Kevin was like, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And, I mean, look, they didn't – I thought they were going to score more than two runs off of him, but then they got to the bullpen and they were able to put up some yeah, runs Yeah, they teed on the off bullpen, on the bullpen, so. yeah. Um, Jolks got himself a home run as well. So, uh, look, nice performance. Even Pena got himself a hit. So, the bats did their job. Jose was magnificent. The bullpen, bullpen was really good. 7 nothing win for the Strohs as they get – Closer and closer to being 500 in that division. No one's running away from with it. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> you know, just be patient, Astro fan. Just be patient. That's all you have to do. They'll have today off. They'll get back to action tomorrow at home for a big weekend series against the Texas Rangers. And, of course, we'll have that either on our station here on the game or on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Hour number one in the books, hour number two, coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. One hour down, two more to go on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. As we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, our number one primarily spent talking about those New Orleans Pelicans losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder. What a way to cap off uh, such a frustrating and disappointing season. That is our poll question of the day as well. How do you feel now that the season's over about what the Pills did in 2022 to 2023? 
Are you relieved it's finally over? Are you frustrated? Or is this what you kind of expected it to be? Go vote on the poll question. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. We also touched on the Houston Astros picking up a win, shutting out the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday. They'll be off today, and then they'll come back home for a weekend series against the Texas Rangers. But now it's time for us to welcome on our first guest. And this is something that has been fascinating to me because there's this grassroots campaign that has begun on social media and more and more people are talking about it. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns have one of the best names, nicknames, in collegiate athletics, yet don't have a mascot. And we talked about this earlier in the week when we started seeing this on social media. We saw how people reacted to the fabulous Cajun chicken coming back for a one-night event, essentially, and how much the kids love that. And we talked about, hey, this is a great opportunity, and you have a mascot. You can have someone roam the sidelines. You can have someone courtside. You can entertain the kids. This is a home run. This makes a ton of sense. Well, someone is trying to make that happen. He is a University of Louisiana alum. He's an MFA film candidate at Columbia University. He's an aspiring screenwriter and director. And he's the man who came up with the genesis of creating Al Boudreaux, the new mascot proposed for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. It's our privilege to welcome on to the program Corey St. Owa. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning to Lafayette, Louisiana. Happy to be on with you all. All right, brother. Where did the where did this idea originally come from? Why were you so inspired to come up with this idea to have the Louisiana Raging Cajuns have a spirit leader, a, a mascot? Well, I, I think like everybody else, you know, I saw just how everyone loved that one night only um, the fabulous Cajun chicken coming back, and for for years there's been a void and I. People want a mascot. They make games entertaining. And, um, you know, before I had to leave town for school, you know, I was was at the games. I was watching just the student section become less and less engaged and enthusiasm dropped. So I saw an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was reading everyone, uh, you know, reading everyone's suggestions before my grassroots campaign of um, what, what they think could work and i just started from there i want to dive into your research because obviously you did a lot of it talking to students talking to people there in the community about what they think would work and what they think wouldn't work um obviously there was a, a mascot for a while uh old cayenne uh old, <laughs> old bowed up cayenne and uh, <laughs> the athletic department shelved him and uh he has been pronounced dead, and we have no idea where he's at. And and it's been a while. It's been years and years since that happened. Uh, when you did your research, w- what surprised you most when you started doing it? Uh, I would say the thing that surprised me the most um, is, one, just how 
people are loyal to every different kind of mascot that UL has had. Because we've had several, whether it's the Cajun man, the bulldog, Fabulous Cajun chicken, or um, or cayenne itself. Um, and out, outside of that, oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, uh, outside of that, I, w- I would say the thing that um, I mean, what I was researching is uh, what people were missing when it comes to what is necessary for a mascot um, for a university, which is you want something that um, that at least will bring some kind of some some kind of respect onto your institution. Um, and I feel like that's a big part because, and yeah, it, I would, I'll, I'll say this better. I'll say this better. Okay. Go ahead, brother. You can't, you, you can't, you can't deduce Cajun culture down to one single, single entity. You know, um, a lot of people, you know, say we're the raging Cajuns. Um, maybe you should just put a guy in some shrimp boots and some, some overalls and a hat and just roll him out there and say that's Cajun culture. Well, that's a, that's a raging, that's, that's a Cajun. And I think that's false. I think Cajun culture is so incredibly rich to say that it can be really quantified in any kind of caricature of just one singular human being is a, is a disservice to how beautiful and vast, um, Acadiana's people are and how deep the folklore is. Yeah, and to that point, you also don't want to reinforce any negative stereotypes, right? And <laughs> and that and that's a and that's a big part of it. Now, what I found interesting is, you know, a lot of people maybe outside of Lafayette, and obviously you're an alum, so you know this. You know, how much did the fact that there is, you know, a swamp, a little miniature swamp, and the fact that you can sometimes come across alligators on your way to class kind of led you to to the point of the mascot being an actual alligator. Oh, that played, that played a huge part. I mean, um, this fence is around Cypress Lake right now, but before that happened, the alligators used to get out all the time. I would say that's one of the... the f- little fun or maybe not so fun facts about being a UL student is knowing just how often those alligators actually got out of said mini swamp. So it played a, it played a huge factor in um, looking at the possibilities of what could happen in the future for the university when it comes to um, where to play, um, you know, where to place uh, signage or figurines of the mascot. So maybe, Maybe not necessarily like a uh, real life albino, um, albino alligator in the middle of Cyprus. But you know, what if there was a statue of one? You know, a marble statue right in the middle of the Cyprus. That could be really cool and add more to the university's, you know, imagery and cultural appeal. Corey, 
obviously you came up with the idea, tons of inspiration, tons of research. You decide on the albino alligator. You decide on the name. What brought you to to those decisions? I mean, did you just wake up one morning and go, boom, there it is. That's it. That, that, that's what I'm going to roll with. <laughs> no. Uh, I've said before, I started with just some of the common denominators, uh, which is understanding the school's colors are vermilion and white. And what, and, and just working out from there, and it's like, what is red and white? If there's nothing that's red and white, then I can search for something else. Well, you know, I thought about, you know, people have tossed out red alligators. I was like, but red alligators don't exist. What does? White alligators do. And we were fortunate enough that there's a type of alligator that also has pink to red eyes. And that would be an albino alligator. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of built it out from there. So you have this idea, and obviously you're an immensely creative and talented individual. You wouldn't be in film school and an aspiring filmmaker if you weren't. So you get this idea, and you come up with the name and, and how it should look. But then you also need to find yourself a collaborator to be able to uh, come together and be able to present things in a visual form uh, with with sketches, uh, with drawings. Uh, tell us the process of that. How did you find the artists? And you must be just over the moon by how people are reacting to the finished product. Yes. So um, far as visual imagery goes, I was first inspired by Parish Inc.'s vintage-looking alligator graphic that they have going on right now. Um, they've had that mock-up mascot for years, and I like badly photoshopped the um, their image and tossed that around online when I was first kicking back and doing some research for the reception of, of Albino. And once I saw some really good positive feedback, I reached out to Parish Inc. Uh, to see if see if they'd be willing to convert the image. Um, we briefly we briefly talked uh, about them creating a new image because they're still using the one that I was referencing. Uh, but Parish Inc. is a is a is a big company, and they they got extremely busy. But that worked out for the best because then I was able to work with Bert Dernan, who's done a lot of amazing work around Acadiana. Um, if you go to Adopt a Dog Brewery, he's done all their their beer, uh, their, their beer signage, um, as well as um, worked on creating, like modifying the poster for Festival International this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so Bert, Bert is really a rock star graphic designer. I really can't not talk him up enough. So I approached him with the idea, and he really liked the idea as well. And, you know, we had several rounds crafting and moving things around and getting the image to where I felt um, was good enough. And I was, you know, just providing him with, with little tidbits of what could help build Abino's imagery in, based on... UL history, Lafayette history, and so on. And I'm incredibly pleased with the final product, and it's it's great to see other people really like the final product as well, too. 
it's uh, it's been very heartwarming. Yeah, for sure. The the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive, and there's a bit of buzz about it here in Acadiana. And I know you've done uh, you're going through this process of doing interviews and talking about that. And we appreciate your time. So, but but the ultimate goal is to get this off the ground to to have the university's athletic department kind of embrace this and get the ball rolling on it, getting this up and running or getting something similar to this up and running because there's obviously a need there. So where do we stand there? Have you talked to anyone officially with the university or the athletic department about this project? And are you ho- if you haven't, are you hoping to hear from them soon? <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear from them soon because that would definitely um, stop me for taking – that would definitely – Stop me from taking all the bullets for proposing a new mascot to any of the other previous mascots. Faithful, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's really nice to see that. You know, the, anytime I do see positive comments, and overall, just whether you like Al or not, it's a good thing that we're talking about it because um, a lot of people didn't even notice Cayenne's disappearance, and he's been gone for several years now so the the need is now as apparent as ever but ultimately i started this this campaign because i i truly believe that i would be great for our university and i think it would be awesome to have on the sideline so i'm hoping to hear at least something from the university soon Corey, appreciate your time Thank you so much, uh, brother, for making the time. I know you got classes, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's right. it's, it's going to be a busy day for you. But uh, thank you so much, brother. Best of luck, and we'll be in touch. All right, appreciate y'all so much. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Good stuff there with Corey. Do I believe that this grassroots campaign for uh, the albino alligator to be the new mascot for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will take off? There seems to be a lot of positivity amongst Raging Cajun fans. Uh, it, It makes a lot of sense. But nine times out of ten, when something is well liked by the general public and it makes a lot of sense... Nine times out of ten, it doesn't happen. Not to be negative, but that's typically what happens. Yeah, no, I I would love for the idea to take in its form, like the way it is now, but I I do think the more realistic situation here is that it gets the university thinking and talking, you know, in the athletic department, and maybe they come up with their own type of thing. A dancing Um, crawfish wearing sunglasses. Right, and and that's the the thing is that when if if that does happen – we can revisit 
these ideas and these, you know, designs, which like, you know, they're not like, it's not fully fleshed out as far as like what it would look like in actuality, but that's true. We can revisit it, you know, if they do end up coming up with something. But it's I, I think of the same thing all the time. I see this often now, and it's becoming, like, alarming for me. Your football team um, came up with some uniforms that uh, we haven't talked about yet, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time in the offseason to discuss kind of the way they went with their rebrand. But I see, like, fan-made mock-ups online all the time with uniforms that are awesome. And then I see what actually gets unveiled mm-hmm. by teams, and it's always, like, so underwhelming to me in, in most situations. And... I always find that fascinating. Like, and I guess I get like sometimes those are maybe just catered to to my liking, and and there's like a, a wider, there's different, you know, generations. There of does fans. seem to be, to your point, there does seem, as particularly I want to say in the last two to three years, yeah, that the fans, because of technology, has allowed people to be uh, more creative than ever. Right, and when, right. when it comes to designing logos or uniforms, jerseys, whatever it may be, that we're having these great ideas. We, we have this all the time about the Pelicans. Oh, well, I, I tweeted the other day. I mean, the NOLA alternate uniforms, the white ones, I thought should have easily become the permanent home uniforms. And then they got rid- not only did they not make them the you know permanent home uniforms, they got rid of them entirely as an alternate. And, and they got some, the new ones. And, like, and, and some just... mock-up Mardi Gras uniforms made by fans are far better than anything they have. And, and then the other thing, too, that's always blows my mind is you see these teams come out like the commanders and then they'll come out and say, you know, they spent $40, 50000000 million on a marketing team that designed all this and every aspect of it. And it's like, but like some guy on his computer made better uniforms in 30 minutes on a, on a Photoshop app. But it, anyway, it's I, always I, weird it's that like the teams always unveil stuff that looks like it came from like any given Sunday. Like, it's just strange to me. It, now, like, there's been a couple recently. Like, I like the new Twins look. I like what they did with, and it was like subtle changes and stuff. And you're seeing with the NFL with the rule changes back now, which was a ridiculous rule for a long time about helmets and stuff. So, like, the Bucks are going to bring the cream sickles back and things like that. So, a lot of, you know, people will be approving of that. But it's the same way with the Saints. We have this, this color rush uniform. And, you know, all these different mock up helmets that I was used to see. And then they come up with this helmet with like a million fleur de lis on the middle. And it's just. I don't understand it. And then we, we can't match the golds with the color rush, and we can't have an alternate helmet that has the correct gold. Or if we're going to, you know, there's any people saying, again, just make the color rush DOA uniform. And, like, I'm okay with that, but then we have to make a home one that matches it. It just doesn't seem like they're worried about it, but I am because I'm a big uniform guy. Fun fact. I like that. We're going to dive into your, your passion for, for unis. I'm very upset about sponsor patches in baseball, but it was coming, and unfortunately oh, it coming. it's, it's going to happen in the NFL eventually. But until oh, yeah. then... I will be, uh, I'll be the man saying get off my lawn about uniform sponsor patches. The NFL right now can't believe that Major League Baseball got one up them on somehow finding a way to make money. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's coming. I know this wasn't our planned topic for the segment, but you know, as as I've done earlier in the day, yeah, look, I'm just look, I, it over, I, I firmly accepted the fact about three days into this relationship <laughs> that you would hijack the show from time to time. It makes the show better, so that's oh, well, okay. I appreciate that. But my so the NBA did the sponsor patches first, right? And then of course the big fear, and it, it still is my big fear, is like becoming what soccer is in the MLS. Where like you know when I, I did I wasn't a big soccer fan growing up, but I knew like oh that's the Xbox team because they had the Xbox uniforms, and I was like oh those are that's weird. Like why do they have X? What is what is their actual team name? Are they really called the Xbox team? And they weren't. I don't even know what team it was. The Fighting Xboxes. <laughs> but but like that's the idea that you don't want to get to, right? Where you'd have you know. 
New Orleans Saints patch right here, and then everywhere else is just or you don't sponsors. You're afraid that they're going to end up looking like NASCAR drivers, right? And like in NASCAR, that's part of the thing. Like that's the Correct. idea, so it works. But it it's not supposed to be that way. But anyway, the NBA has done it, and like I've gotten over it, and I don't notice it as much. But then the MLB came in, and I was still like open to the idea. But the patches are huge. And, like, I don't know why we were allowing them. Like, the patches are just enormous. Like, the, the, the Astros patches, like, double Baker, the size of anything else. Dusty Baker, not a fan. And, and I mean, we saw the Mets, actually. I don't know if you saw that. They came out with theirs. It's it's uh, some type of hospital sponsoring the Mets. And they well, came with all out the with, injuries, that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I, I knew that joke was coming. They come out with the design, and everyone hates it. So the, the patch was enormous, and it didn't make And everyone came out so good. And the Mets said... By the way, we decided we're going to go ahead and re reimagine that, which for once, hey, I actually listen to the fans, and they've they've come out with a smaller version of it. So anyway, I, I, I hope that uh, cooler heads prevail and we don't just throw a billion dollars at the jerseys and just turn into soccer, but we'll see. I'm You're far more optimistic about that than I am because I just... Oh, I'm I, not. I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like that's where we're going to go. Poll question of the day. It's not about uniforms or mascots. It's about the 2022-2023 New Orleans Pelicans. And how do you feel about the season now that it has come to an end? Are you just relieved it's all over? Do you feel very frustrated? Or is this what you expected? Right now, 44% of you are very frustrated. 33% of you are just relieved it's over. That's what Dawson is. 23% say... It's what I expected. All of the above, once again. I'm, <laughs> I'm frustrated by it. I expected it, and I'm relieved it's over. And, and, and I'm relieved it's over. Oh, man. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Look, and we'll dive deeper into the Pellies when Les East joins us in about half an hour from right now to kick off hour number three, our buddy from CrescentCitySports.com. But this team didn't deserve to be in the playoffs to begin with. They, they, they just didn't, right? And I'm okay. Now, once again, I'm not a Pills fan. But I'm perfectly okay with not rewarding a team for being mediocre. I am not a big participation trophy guy. The play-in tournament is participation trophy. That, that, that's what it is. It's also a marketing ploy by Adam Silver to make more money for the NBA. But when you looked at this team, did you go, that's a playoff team? Since January 1st. And the answer is no. That's the reality. The answer is no. The team's not good enough. So they're going to have some questions, though, in this offseason. And I don't think they're going to run it all back. you got to figure out what you're going to do with Valachunas. you got to figure out what you're going to do with Jackson Hayes. You probably need more perimeter shooting. CJ's going to have surgery. He told us so much so right after the game last night. Is everyone going to be healthy next year? And, and, and if you're the Pels... Do you make some decisions with the roster to better ensure if one of your guys gets injured, 
your season's not going to unravel. Are you going to find someone else that is as talented as Zion or B.I.? No. But could you beef up your roster in a way that your season doesn't go down the toilet because one of them gets hurt? I think that probably should be the initiative this offseason. Yeah, no, and and one other storyline that I'm kind of keeping my eye on that it's difficult to now because in the NBA it's not as simple as it once was where everybody had a position one through five. But, like, where are they going with the point guard spot? Uh, because, Thank you. Because you've had stretches where CJ's been your point guard, kind of. But he's not a it point didn't, guard. Yeah, it didn't work well. Um, you've had stretches where you've played Jose, like, legit starter minutes. I like that idea. I'm okay with that. Uh, if, but then if, you've, if he's your point guard, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, but then you've had this stretch now with the last couple of weeks where B.I. was basically the point guard, and that worked. Uh, you know, that's part of the reason you, you know, when he was a facilitator and a scorer, I think the team was better. And that's part of this little run you made at the end to kind of, you know, get yourself back into playing contention. And so I may be okay with that idea too, but I, we need to figure it out. And then, of course, when Zion comes back, he's not going to be – it's kind of like that LeBron thing where he's not going to be the full-time point guard, but there's going to be times where he runs the offense. Um, he, it's a little bit different with Zion than it would be with one of those guys, but you, you get my, what I'm saying. Yes. So, like, you need a plan there, and do you bring in a veteran point guard to kind of steady the ship, so to speak, to at least maybe be a guy off the bench where – if B.I.'s not running it, you have somebody to run it. Do you trust Jose to be that guy? Do you think Kira Lewis is going to be ready to take the next step? Like, I need to see some clarification from that point. And, like, who's the guy? Who's, A, the starter? And, like, again, in the NBA, you have now the, you have starters and then you have closers. And sometimes those aren't the same guys because Willie Green, for whatever reason, doesn't like playing Jonas in crunch time. So He also doesn't like to play Kyra Lewis or Dyson Daniels. You, you, yeah, have, you have guys on the roster that could fill that role. But Willie has to trust them, and they have to develop them. And if he doesn't believe that they're ready yet, then you have to develop them. It feels like we've been talking about competent, consistent point guard play for, what, five years? That's what it feels like. Yeah, and I know Jose and like some of the metrics will tell you he's got some deficiencies and that you know he's not necessarily the full the full answer at that spot, and like I would accept that answer. But yeah, he's not Chris Paul. But if that's the he case, need to be. and if that's the case again, I would like them to go out and get a veteran proven guy that can steady the ship. And to your point, be a guy who again, if Zion's out and you know Bi of course can't play forty eight minutes every night, like where how are we running this show, and 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 how are we going to solidify what we're doing? Because here's here's the reality, Dawson, and we we have to take a timeout. But here's the reality. There's nothing that has shown you. There's no physical evidence, proof, that all three of those guys are going to be healthy next season. There's none. So having the mindset of, well, we'll run it back and everyone's going to be healthy. Well, that's what you thought this year. That's what you thought the previous year. That hasn't worked out. So they're going to have to make some moves to beef up the roster. That way when B.I. misses time, because he will, when Zion misses time, because he will, your team doesn't just dissolve into nothing. So if that means parting ways with some of the guys on the roster, maybe taking some of those assets, those draft picks that you have accumulated that you're not doing anything with, and getting some mid-level tier guys that can at least help you keep yourself afloat. I'm not saying you need to go out and get some more all-stars because that's not how it's going to happen. 
but can you go get some more competent guys that can help you stay afloat and be a 500 team while your guys are out injured? Because if they would have had that this year, they wouldn't have been in the play-in tournament. That's what's going to happen. Now, is Griff going to be able to do that? Because he's made some good moves, and he's also made a ton of bad ones. We'll see. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Good show so far. Jam-packed hour number three coming up. So if you want to get your phone calls in, now would be the time. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. You want to talk about the Pels? Want to talk about the poll question? Want to talk about Al, the albino alligator mascot idea, which I like a lot for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns? You want to talk about Astros getting the dub? Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up, hour number three, we got back-to-back-to-back guests. Les East from ChristmasCitySports.com will join us to talk Saints and Pelicans. Then we're going to have Wilson Alexander from the Baton Rouge Advocates to talk LSU spring football. And then we're going to close it out with John Melvin University head football coach Don Lee. He's going to be stopping by the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette and join us to talk about building a program from scratch. That's all coming up in hour number three. But I want to talk about the pace of play and how it's having a bit of an impact, if you will, in Major League Baseball. (laughs) So we know the games now are routinely coming in under three hours. It's been great. Two and a half hours, two hours and 40 minutes. It's been a big hit because of the pitch clock and the speed of the game. And this has been amazing. This is an adjustment that Major League Baseball has needed to do for a long time. I'm all about it. That said, (laughs) Major League Baseball games are now 30 minutes quicker than last year. That translates to a loss of 280 thousand dollars to 1.1 million dollars in lost beer sales throughout the season depending on the stadium so several teams milwaukee brewers minnesota twins arizona diamondbacks and the texas rangers have already extended their beer sales deadline from the seventh to the eighth inning and other teams will likely do it as well this is courtesy from an investment specialist. I didn't even think about that when we talked about 
the quick pace of the game. Now, the only Major League Baseball game I've gone to in this short season was a Rangers game against the Phillies, and that actually went over three hours because the final score was 16-3. to So there were a few innings where it dragged on because, you know, there were lots of hits. But what do we make of this? It seems... It makes a lot of sense, but I do wonder, obviously Major League Baseball has implemented the quick pace of play and the fans like it, but the owners aren't going to like the fact that they're not making as much money off of concessions. Correct? Yeah, I don't feel bad for them though. Like, I mean, Okay, if you made the games five and a half hours, would you sell more beers and hot dogs? I guess, but does that mean you'd overall have a better product and make more money in the long run because of the overall growth of the game? No. So, like, I understand it. I think it's a short-sighted reaction to say, we're selling less beer, let's extend the beer sales. And, like, I, I will say this, you know, and I'm sure that they've done their research on it. I just think, in general, as far as I know, the seventh inning beer sales thing is, is has to do with trying to, you know, not promote drunk driving and, and make sure people aren't, like, you know, getting out of hand with that. So I have a hard time being okay with them walking back those rules if that's what they're in place for. Um, I, I guess I do at the same time. Like, you have to let adults make adult decisions and be responsible for themselves. But I don't know. That seems like a tough you know, thing to pass on if, if, you know, again, maybe their reasoning for the seventh inning thing, they'll have their other reasons that, you know, well, it wasn't exactly for that, but um, I don't know. I just have a, I have a tough time them being able to walk that back so easily when, you know, that seems like a bit of a, you know, a safety issue in my opinion. Well, is it Major League Baseball team's responsibility to regulate your drinking? No, but I would just ask, then why were those rules in place in the first place, the seventh inning rules? You know what I mean? Well, they were put on in place for public relations. That's, I mean, that, that's what it is. Look, when I was at the Rangers game, we, we joked about it. There was a group of mid to late 20s, probably later 20s, a group in front of us that was absolutely hammered. And it was a day baseball game. Right? So, I get what you're saying. But at the end of the day, no one forced them to go to the game. No one forced them to buy the alcohol. No one forced them to drink too much. And no one forced them to get behind the wheel of a car afterwards. Right? So, the Rangers or the Astros or the Braves or the Yankees, whoever it is, no one's forcing them to do that. Well, right, and I'm sure, look, those organizations have plenty of lawyers and money, and I, I would assume I, they did their I, homework I agree. regarding the liability I do, involved. I, I do get what, what you're saying, but always remember this. The owners of these teams, they own the teams because they like making money. Never forget that. We, we get caught up too many times when we see owners on the sidelines or they're celebrating, they're talking about how much they love to have a winning product and everything. Mean, Jerry Jones is the perfect example. Jerry meddles so much that he holds his franchise back and they haven't been a legitimate Super Bowl contender since the early 1990s. But they're also the most valued 
sports franchise in North America. It's all about making money. Never forget that. Like, never forget that. Morality, doing the right thing, doing the right thing for fans and for their own players and their own employees. All that at the end of the day goes out the window because it comes down to making money. Don't forget, Saint fan, that the late, great Tom Benson really, really wanted to move the franchise away and flirted with doing it multiple times. Then Katrina happened and changed everything. And that's someone that's revered as, well, you know, Tom Benson did Yeah, but he also nearly moved the franchise away and really wanted to. And then the NFL stepped in and money all of a sudden popped up and all this renovations happened and all of a sudden everything was good to go. So don't forget that. At the end of the day, the owners want to do one thing and one thing more than anything. Make money. So extending beer sales because they may be losing some money because games are not as long. They're doing it because they want to make money and they want more of your hard-earned money to go in their pockets. Don't forget. Don't forget. Got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number two next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Darren has chimed in saying, I wonder how many Pelicans fans really think Griff is doing a good job. And Hudat forever responded, his biggest sin this season is not getting a point guard. Can't blame Zion on him. Look, roster construction-wise, I, I don't have a ton to criticize David Griffin on because, again, you can't project out these injuries. And I know, I guess, at some point you can start to evaluate how, how many injuries a player has had. But when Zion was taken, obviously that wasn't the case. Um, well, I, you can now. Like that's the now thing, right? You can, Moving right, forward, they can reevaluate. But right, again, they have to make sure they have insurance policies in place. But the way the NBA works and the way that we know it takes to win, like they, there's not just a situation in which you move on from Zion right now. You're just tied to it in a way. But anyway, I, I think roster management and construction, the way this roster was constructed, I think they 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 did a good job. Uh, they do have to change some things for next year and try to make things better. Um, but then I would argue some, certainly some of the other things about which, which, look, David Griffin's not just the basketball roster creator, right? He has bigger roles and titles within the Pelicans. I don't that's know right. if he's done the other jobs, you know, as well as I would like him to. But I think that's uh, fair from a roster construction standpoint. I really, I really, I don't think you can complain. I again, like Kevin Foot likes to say, you can't be super result oriented. The results maybe didn't match the vision and the mindset, but I don't have any problem with the process that they used. <laughs> 
I think some of the moves over the years I have not been a big fan of, and they haven't worked out. Some of them have. McCullum worked out. I have bigger things that need to be addressed. They need to get some insurance policies because you know you're not going to have B.I. and Zion and McCullum healthy for an entire season. So just go ahead and anticipate that you're going to miss 25 to 30 games. All right, let's get to some competent bench players that can come in and help alleviate things. Probably time to move on from Jackson Hayes. Are they going to bring back Valachunas? It would be great, but it would also be great if Willie Green actually played him. Like, there's going to have to be a hard discussion with Willie, who I like, about some of his in-game adjustments, which are questionable, and uh, that that coaching staff probably needs to be shook up a little bit. Just saying. That needs to be addressed as well. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. And it's all about how do you feel about the Pelicans 2022-2023 season? Relieved it's over. Very frustrated or what I expected. Right now, very frustrated is leading the way with 46% of the vote. Hour number two is done. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with more Pels talk with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company. We are broadcasting live from inside the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. He is the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Woo! Coming up half an hour from right now, the new head football coach at John Melvin University over in Crowley, Don Lee, will join us to talk about what are some of the challenges of building a football program from scratch. I can only imagine that it's a tad challenging. 15 minutes or so from right now, Wilson Alexander will be joining us from the Advocate to talk LSU spring football. But right now, as we kick off hour number three, it's time for us to talk the New Orleans Pelicans. The season is over. Everyone can be put out of their misery. To talk about the obituary that is the New Orleans Pelicans 2022-2023 season. is a man who covers them for CrescentCitySports.com. Les East joins us. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I am doing amazing, my friend. So, uh, last night's game, the way it ended, the lack of execution in the final couple minutes by the Pelicans, how they let another game kind of get away from them against a young, inexperienced team, and they did so at home, uh, pretty much uh, epitomizes 
the disappointment of the season, right? I mean, it's pretty a pretty perfect way of putting a cap on the 2022-2023 season. Yeah, it was a lot like the season as a whole. And, uh, you know, I, I think what, what has gotten overlooked at times down the stretch, you know, of course, the, the, the time lost to injury by key players has been a, a factor during the season, a major factor, and, and there's naturally been a lot of attention on that. And there's been attention on them not being able to shoot the three-pointers uh, periodically. And uh, down the stretch, the, the depth wasn't there. The bench just did not perform well the last uh, couple of weeks of the season. But the thing I don't think got enough attention, and it was, I think, the biggest factor last night, is they are a bad defensive team. They gave up 123 points, the most points uh, allowed by anybody in any of the play-in games. And uh, that's what did them in. They couldn't get any stops down the stretch, gave up. Got outscored 11-4 to four, uh, down the stretch, uh, I believe, in uh, maybe in the last two minutes. And not just because they didn't make shots, but because they couldn't get any stops. And I, I think when you look at the, their shortcomings with the group that was on the floor, uh, I, I think that was the biggest factor is that uh, they were a bad defensive team. Overall on the season, they were a pretty good defensive team, but in the Minnesota game, they failed to play the defense. And then again, last night they failed. And it just wasn't SGA last night. They gave up, you know, uh, Oklahoma City had three guys score 90 points. So it just wasn't SGA either. No, it wasn't, and uh, yeah, the, the the defense wasn't necessarily bad night in and night out, but when they came up short, when they had losses, when they played poorly, generally it was because they played poorly on defense. That was what did them in when things didn't go well, and last night, I I'd have to go back and look at, I guess, points in the paint would be the way to look at it, but it was the dribble penetration. I don't know how many times, and this is including off of made baskets. Oklahoma City would just push the ball up the floor, and somebody would just beat their man off the dribble and get to the basket for an uncontested layup. They, they could not stop dribble penetration. And, uh, yeah, there were three guys, uh, in Dort and Giddy, both uh, in the Dort in the first half, Giddy throughout, and then Alexander, uh, Gilgis Alexander in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Uh, so the, Oklahoma City always had uh, somebody, and oftentimes two or three guys, just scoring at will. And oftentimes it was off the dribble penetration because the Pelicans couldn't find a way to stop them. And, and Herb Jones did a pretty good job on SGA, at least in the first half. But eventually it just wore on him, and uh, they didn't have anybody else they could turn to when he, he uh, committed his fourth foul there in the third quarter. I want to talk about the other side of things because it's another game where it appears like Valachunas could be a great asset, and he played extremely well in the first half, and then there's not a shot attempt from him in the third quarter because Willie makes the adjustment because he says, well, 
they're going small, so I got to go small too, just like he did against Minnesota. And I just – is is Valachunas just not a Willie Green player or what Willie wants to do with his team? Because it sure does seem like as the season progressed that those two things and how to utilize the big fella were at odds with what Willie wanted to do and how he wanted his team to play. Yeah, that's something they have to look at in the off season. You know, there's not a player on the team who's a bigger warrior than, than Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, he just gives you everything he has every night and um, plays through injury. And um, I think he had 16 points, 18 rebounds last night. And during the stretch run, when they won nine out of 12, he he was a big factor in that. And and Willie has talked about how. When things aren't going well offensively, they can throw the ball into him down in the post, and he can get them some points and get them back on track. So he's a valuable player, and he did a lot of good things for him, and and he's not somebody you want to move on from lightly. You have to take a long, hard look at whether or not he fits in, whether you're using him as well as you can use him, or whether he just doesn't fit, as you brought up. And I, I think part of the problem is the way uh, Willie wants to play defense, the way a lot of teams play defense in the NBA now, is they want to be able to switch all five positions. And that's really hard to do with him. He's kind of a throwback and being a, a big body who's not real athletic at the and a traditional five. And uh, somebody like Jackson Hayes, for all his faults with his length and his athleticism, is somebody who I think fits that mold a little bit better, though he's not a consistent player. I don't think he would be the solution as your starting center. But the skill set that Valanciunas has, which is very uh, useful, isn't necessarily the best fit with the way the Pelicans want to play overall. And so they have to figure out if he fits into the puzzle uh, as well as he needs to going forward. And I think that's going to be an evaluation in the offseason. We're talking with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Obviously, a disappointing season. Yes, they did win more games than they did a year ago in the regular season, but they don't make the playoffs. They get booted out in the play-in tournament. How would you assess this season? Because it had so much promise, and it looked like they were going to be a top four, top five seed in the West. And obviously injuries played a huge role in this this year, Les but it's another disappointing end for the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I think the fact that they failed to get one of those top six spots is a disappointment and a shortcoming on their part, even with the injuries and all the time uh, missed by key players. They were they were number one in the West briefly there in December. Uh, I think that probably raised expectations to an unrealistic level but nonetheless they they had a 10 game losing streak in there they were a bad team for for a good two months at the start of 2023 and uh they they just had bad stretches they they had the the defense that we talked about they they didn't shoot the three ball well enough uh 
for long stretches of time. Uh, Brandon Ingram didn't play that well when he first came back from his last injury, last in a series of injuries. And uh, so they they hit a lot of rough spots there uh, that dragged them down to the ninth spot. They they let that game Sunday get away from them. That never should have happened. Otherwise, they would have been in the seven eight game, and that they would have had a mulligan. They could have lost the first game and still play the second game. So there were a lot of ways they came up short. But even with the injuries, they had, I think, the talent and the opportunity to, to finish in the top six and avoid the play-in tournament altogether. But they weren't able to do that, and then they underperformed in the one postseason game in which they got to play. So, uh, you know, it's a disappointing season. They they did win six more games than last year, but last year they went four and four in the postseason. This year they went zero and one, and uh, last year they didn't have Zion Williamson at all. So uh, I think you would have to say that this season was a disappointment and was uh, a, a bit of a step backward. Put injuries aside and getting the team healthy, because obviously that that's a big difference. And it's also a big question mark because the sample size of what we see the potential for this team is just that. It's just potential. We don't know if it can sustain an entire season or even a postseason. So put that aside, getting the team healthy. What's going to be the biggest focus for the front office and this team this offseason to get over the hump, so to speak? Because we're going to be entering year five of the David Griffin era and – paired up with Zion? Well, I, I think they have to figure out what, what they need to do with the roster as a whole. We talked about they, they have to decide whether Valanciunas is the right fit at the center position. I think they have to take a look at C.J. McCollum. He said after the game he's going to have thumb surgery. He played the last three month was, months with a, a thumb injury that required surgery he may also have shoulder surgery so you know I still think he's capable of being a very good player but he's getting up in years he's making a a significant amount of money and and so they have to decide whether or not a healthy McCollum is still a major part of this equation I think it is Uh, but you know those are the two older players that they have to take a look at, Valanciunas and McCollum. And then, you know, their biggest strength uh, early in the season was their depth. And at the end of the season, their bench was getting torched by their opponents. So, you know, maybe their depth isn't quite as good as we thought. Uh, Of course, Jose Alvarado wasn't there last night. Larry Nance Jr. wasn't there last night. But nonetheless, the, the roster has a lot of really nice pieces, but do all of those pieces fit together into the puzzle the best way that it can? And I think they have to look at that and decide um, whether there needs to be one or two major changes to make the puzzle fit together better. I'll get you out here with this, Les. We heard reports, and the Pelicans basically came out and said, you know, Zion and the conditioning and the health and the weight. And that's what they indicated what the issue was. And then we hear from Zion, and he says physically that's not the issue. It's more of a mental thing for him. What do you make of 
what seemingly feels like the Pelicans' front office and their star player, their franchise face, seemingly still not being on the same page. Well, I, I think that was uh, – I, I think Zion did a poor job of trying to articulate the message that the organization wanted him to articulate on Tuesday. I think the organization panicked. They, uh, you know, David Griffin had tried to put the Zion thing to rest last week by just saying, uh, yeah, he's not ready yet. We'll let you know when he's ready. And then um, the report came out Monday – that uh, his conditioning wasn't ready. He probably could not play in a first-round playoff series if they got there. And uh, I think the Pelicans panicked to try and change that narrative. They put Zion out there, and what he, I think, was trying to express was that he doesn't yet have confidence in the hamstring, and he didn't want to go out there and be hesitant which he says he sometimes is in practice because he doesn't trust the hamstring and he didn't want to be out there and not be able to be himself and hurt his team. But he didn't word it very well when he started talking about a mental battle and being in his head. And uh, I, I don't think their explanation was necessarily that different than the report that came out Monday, but it was poorly crafted. And I think the problem is partially conditioning because he's had a hamstring injury since January 2nd. You can't do a lot of cardio work when you have a strained hamstring, which he aggravated in February. So, yeah, conditioning is going to be an issue, but I think they should have just let the report go out there on Monday and die. And instead they put him out there to try and uh, nuance the situation uh, when he wasn't prepared for the questions he was going to get. And then he goes out there pregame last night taking shots and doing a windmill dunk to try and show what he's able to do, which was absolutely absurd, distracting from the play-in game last night. So I just think it was from a public relations standpoint the organization botched it and they put him out there as the point man to try and clean it up and he was ill prepared to do that i i think it made more out of the situation than should have happened he has a hamstring injury that's not uh that's close to being ready but his conditioning wasn't there yet and so they weren't comfortable putting him out there but they uh they just botched the presentation of the narrative because they panicked when the report came out on Monday, and I just think it was a, a, a failure by the front office and that they stuck him in the middle of it. Les, appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thank you for it. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy some time off before you have to get ready for the draft, my bud. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though isn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head 
That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Spring football season is wrapping up from coast to coast, and it's getting closer and closer by the day for the LSU Tigers. Brian Kelly's second spring season and coming off a tremendous debut, right? Ten-win season, beats Florida, Auburn, Ole Miss, Alabama, wins the bowl game. And has a lot of pieces coming back, but there's also a lot of question marks concerning the Tigers. And to give us more insight about the LSU spring football season is our friend from the Baton Rouge Advocate, Wilson Alexander, joins us now. Wilson, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a happy Easter. Good morning, Raymond. Hope you did as well. All right, bud. Look, we know Jaden Daniels is the man at quarterback, but we also know Nussmeyer was supposed to get plenty of practice time plenty of reps during spring ball and in two of the court they are wildly different quarterbacks oh what do you make of what you've seen from the quarterbacks during spring football we haven't seen a whole lot of the quarterbacks during spring football frankly whenever the practices are open to media it's at the first 20 minutes and that does not show a whole lot of what they're doing it's individual drills they're running over some bags and um, it doesn't give you any look at the full uh, team periods from what we've been able to glean. Otherwise, uh, they're pleased with how the quarterbacks are coming along. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels has been working on you know downfield passing and his like quick quicker identification of one-on-one matchups down the field. And Garrett Nussmeyer, um, you know, on being a little bit more disciplined and taking a few less risks and those sorts of things. All the stuff that you know was talking points around both of them last season um, are the things that they're working on here in the off season. Um, you know. Mike Denbrock said that he will be incorporated to the offense if he went and won the job and didn't say much more than that about him uh, when asked about Nussmeyer. So um, that's kind of the extent of what we know about the quarterback situation. We're going to get a much better look, you know, fans and media and everyone else outside the program uh, come the actual, you know, spring game itself when we can see them maybe doing a little bit more than just, you know, like I said, uh, drilling over, you know, bags and doing footwork and that kind of stuff. Has Noah taken over as RB1? during the spring football and do you think that's going to last for the fall he's taken over for the spring as a result of everybody who's out uh i don't think that will last uh into the season itself simply because of the numbers that lsu has at running back you know josh williams with what he did last season would likely be the lead back again but even in that you know even as we say lead back it's not like he's you know getting so many more carries than everybody else in that room um, you know, Armani Goodwin is expected to be cleared before preseason camp, Brian Kelly has said. Uh, if John Emery can come back uh, onto the field after spending the spring focused on academics, then that would be another option as well. And then Caleb Jackson is going to be enrolling in the summer, and so then that's six scholarship running backs that LSU has. No, no, they're going to be doing, you know, rotating and uh, a little bit of a running back by committee situation there. Um, so Noah has been able to get a lot of work this spring, though, and so maybe that can increase his role in the fall. But to be the lead back, um, I'd be surprised if anybody was. I want to talk about wide receiver. Obviously, Kayshawn Butte made the decision to enter into the NFL draft after committing to coming back. But 
It's not as if they don't have guys that you can depend on. Malik Neighbors has great chemistry with Jaden Daniels. We know what Thomas can do. But after those two guys, it's kind of a wide-open competition. Uh, what stood out to you about the pass catchers during the spring? Kyron Lacey sounds like he's emerged as maybe the number three in that room. And the former Raging Cajun, he's uh, came to LC last season, and he doesn't. He didn't have a huge year. I think he had about 24 catches. He was maybe fifth or sixth in the pecking order in that rotation. Um, but with a couple of guys leaving, with Aaron Anderson, the Alabama transfer, out for the spring as well, uh, it sounds like Kyron's taking advantage of reps. You know, he's been the third team. Excuse me, been one of the uh, three wide receivers. Uh, with that, we do get to see a small little glimpse of the offense uh, whenever they do sort of they do this drill. It's on air, and and also just talking to people you know around the program, they've been pleased with what he's done. You know, Mike Dimbrock said um, that he loves what Kyron Lacey has done all spring. And they, you know, they know what they have in him. He's a big-bodied receiver um, who could give them some options on the outside, and um, that's kind of the one who has asserted himself here in the spring. They also like what they've gotten out of the freshmen in particular. Um, Kyle Parker and Jalen Brown, they made some contested catches. There's still a lot they're having to learn, um, but they look like they're in you know, in the mix uh, heading into preseason camp to be a part of that sort of primary rotation as well. We're talking with Wilson Alexander for a few more minutes here. He's from the Baton Rouge Advocate. He covers the LSU football team. He joins us on RP3 and company. We'll go to the other side of the football. Lots of departures uh, in the front seven in particular across the defensive line. Who's going to uh, be stepping up, or who has rather stepped up during the spring season um, to kind of seize an opportunity? Jacoby and Guillory's been a big one. You know, he's the uh, longest now tenured member of the defensive line. Uh, you know, as a fourth year junior, uh, I believe, and he's you know you see him at the front of every drill um, that the defensive line is going through. He, he's seems like he's really energetic whenever he's hitting the pads. He's got a lot of power behind him. And he just sort of feels like now this is his turn um, to to step up, and he's been able to get a, to really do that with Mason Smith and Makai Wingo out for the spring with injuries, and so he's taking advantage of that. And really, they've been pleased with his growth throughout the spring, um, and he looks like he'll be a key piece, even if it's in a rotational situation, because that's you know what they would like to be able to rotate more at defensive line. Um, you know, at that or looks like maybe to be that that starting nose guard, or at least a very key one. Um, on the defensive front. Um, and then Savion Jones as well at defensive end seems to have really taken a strong uh, grasp of that position. Uh, Ali Gay moving on now. You know, there's an opening, and Savion Jones uh, looks to be in line going into preseason camp to now step into a starting role in his third season. Harold Perkins is special, and he could be one of the all-time greats when it's all said and done. How have they been utilizing him in spring ball? I know there's been a lot of talk about moving him around, using him in different ways. What has that entailed? During spring ball, it's been moving him into inside linebacker and really drilling down on the fundamentals and the teaching of that position. Harold you know, was able to shine last year as an outside backer off the edge, sort of free-flowing play in space, just use his athleticism and his speed and not let things be too much for him, not try to overload him with the playbook at that stage of his career and all the little things that go into inside linebacker, like you know, run fits and making all the calls. Well, now they're trying to make sure that he can handle that stuff um, just as he goes into year two. And this is always the long-term plan. As successful as he was in that role that he played last season, they want him to be able to do more. And this is in order to really increase his versatility. He's not just going to solely play 
inside linebacker every single down. Um, you know, on third down, Brian Kelly alluded to being able to put him back on the edge and rush him uh, as the rush the passer and and uh, do the things that he was so good at last season. Um, but it gives him that versatility. You know, teams won't be able to game plan strictly to seeing him off the edge um, if you can if you can play him inside. And so that's been what they've been working on with him this spring. It really pleases what they've got seen from him in that spot this spring. And now, you know, it gives them even more options at inside linebacker because him and Omar Spates can play there if you just have two. If you want to do three, you can bring Greg Penn in there and rotate him as well. I mean, he was the leading returning tackler for this team, right? And, you know, he's been sort of the second-team linebacker in a base defense. So, you know, you can move Harold down and around, and teams are going to have struggle to game plan against him if he's able to do that much. Wilson? Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing there with The Advocate. And uh, after spring football's in the books, enjoy some some well-deserved time off before the madness that will be SEC Media Days in Nashville. It's really well. Thanks for having me. Have a great rest of your day. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Coaching a football team is hard work to begin with. Coaching a football team that you're creating from scratch is probably a tad more challenging. Our next guest is doing that exact thing. He is a veteran of the coaching profession he brings a wealth of experience being a former head coach at Bellhaven University, Virginia University in Lynchburg, Concordia College, and other stops along the way. And he is the man in charge of creating and starting up the football program for John Melvin University in Crowley, which was created and opened its doors last year. They're going to field a football team for the first time this fall and to tell us all about it is the man in charge. Coach Don Lee joins us now. Coach, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for allowing me to come in and talk a little bit about our program today. So let's talk a little bit about that. This is starting from scratch. I know already having your athletic director and baseball coach on, you know, what the game plan is, is to get things up and running. And then the goal is to play in NIIA in 2024 for athletics, in particular football and baseball as well. So how does one do that? When you when you come in, what's the one of the first things you have to do as the man that's hired as the head coach to build a program from scratch? Well, I, I like your what you have out on your wall. You gotta start you have to start positive. Um and the first thing I seen was the sign you had. One small positive thought can change the whole day or change your life and so coming in you have to be positive uh, of where we're going and how we start you know it is not how you start but it's how you finish and that's kind of how I looked at it coming in and getting to know the people in town and getting to know you know our surrounding areas and how 
we can recruit this area and you know strongly it is recruiting the first thing that you have to hit the ground running you don't worry about uniforms and helmets and scheduling and all that stuff that that you can have people help you with is the main thing going out there and introducing yourself and the recruiting that that was the first thing i did when i came to town i wanted to really get to know the community was number one um starting a program from scratch you know that's even having uh your staff putting the staff together to even build, you know, your team or starting to recruit or where you're going to practice at or what your uniform is going to look like. So you have a lot of thoughts in your head. So first you have to just slow down and focus on the first thing. And the first thing is the community and what you want to do into the community. Obviously kids have so many different options and to go where it is going to an FBS school, an FCS school, D2, even though we don't have D2 program yes, sir. here in the state. So, or Division three, you can go that route as well. So when you go to talk to these kids, you're pitching on, on community, but you're also pitching them on taking a chance on you and taking a chance on building something from scratch correct 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 and and you know i think it's a great place for where we're going to be starting an nai program right off the it area you know when i look at it you, in a 90 mile radius you guys play great football you know and a lot of kids don't have an opportunity to go to your the university of uh, louisiana at lafayette and and lsu but they just need an opportunity and I think that's what we're going to try to do. And I'm going to say think. We know we're going to do that at John Melvin University is give the kids in a 90-mile radius an opportunity. We've already signed some good kids in that area already. You go through the, the recruiting process. What is, uh, you know, is it scholarships that are being uh, offered, Coach? Um, and obviously – you know, how many kids were you able to sign so far for the 2020-24 season? Well, you know what? It's been a blessing. Um, starting a, a school, not only just a football program. Right. That's, that's, that's the thing a, that people don't realize. That's the process. It, not only did they start the school and it opened its doors last year, they're like, you know what? We're just going to hit the ground running and start all the athletic programs at the same time. That's typically not how it works. No, and it's you know, it's exciting though. You know, you're going to hear a lot of negative, but man, it's been positive. When you're thinking that two men started a program from this their pocket, you know, no federal funding, no no government money. It's exciting where we're going to go when we do get the federal money and the government money. You know, it's going to be a, a great process. So we're able to offer right now scholarships. And, you know, I like to bring kids in and see the vision. That's number one. A lot of people say we're going to offer them from the phone. No, no, bring them in and see what you have going on. I like to show the good, the bad, the ugly. And, you know, it's a process of we get to do something that's nobody, nobody's able to do. The kids that's coming in, they're creating history right now. They're going to be the first one to start not just football, but a university. How important is it to get the right kid with the right mindset, with the right set of values come on. to come in to lay the foundation for the program? You just hit the nail on the head. You know, you just can't go out and just sign a bunch of kids. Uh, that's that's also going into that community. You don't want to take away from the community. You want to give back to that community. So coming in, you ha you can't just sign riffraff. And I'm not talking bad. That's just me. You got to take your time, go slow, look at the grades, look at their family, you know, kind of see 
how we can help them. My goal is we don't want them to bring home to John Melvin University. We want them to be able to take John Melvin University back to their house. We're talking with Don Lee. He's the head football coach for John Melvin University, the Millers. They're going to begin football playing this coming fall in 2023. And then the goal is to go up to NIIA in 2024. So you've signed some kids. How many kids you got on the team as it stands right now on April the 13th? I have 23 uh, Miller man that's solid right now. I have 45 that's committed. My goal is, and I'm probably going to get in trouble, which I get in trouble an awful lot. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, Coach. I get in trouble all the time, too. You good. My goal is to bring 100. I know that's too many right now, but I just, I just think that we have a great opportunity right now um, to bring some good kids in. So the 45 is looking strong that's committed, and I'm on the ground right now trying to find the right fit. I want to bring 100 in, So we're, and it's just two coaches right now, so it's amazing. When does – what's the timeline like moving forward for practicing, preparation, camp, uh, scheduling, that, that whole nine yards? Well, it, it, again, starting school, no money, uh, getting people to believe in what you're doing. You can't really have a staff in until August, and you play yep. your first game uh, August the 29th. So uh, you can imagine what we're going to be doing in between that time. So a lot of communicating over the phone, a lot of interviews. Um, I've got the schedule all almost complete. I open up my first game August the 26th with Texas uh, Wesleyan University, and they were 9-3. and three. So I'm, I'm not, I want to be ready to go in 2024. I want to be able to win a national championship. That's my goal. And then it, we, our last game is November the 4th when we you know, we end with Louisiana Christian University. So they're believing in our vision. They're seeing that that's kind of the people we're going to be right. playing in that Red River Conference. So, And, and I, I think they really want us there. Right. Louisiana used to be Louisiana College. Yep. Uh, and also you have a program like uh, Sinari is going to be, I think, in, in that as well Correct. as they're starting up a football program that's been dormant for uh, 80 years, I do believe. So you're gearing up camp, everything like that. Uh, where are you guys going to be practicing and where are you going to be playing your home games or are you going to be able to play any games at home this first season? My goal is I've got a couple, Centenary, which we just talked about. They're coming down and play us uh, okay. at home. Uh, I've got three home games that I'm looking for right now. Uh, we're going to be playing at Garden Memorial Stadium right there in Crawley. Um, so that's going to really help us. The mayor has stepped up and gave us a place to practice right now, which is good. We're able to not only – practice there but to help the community and keep it clean um and, and I think you're going to get a lot of people coming out by us by him putting us in the middle of town I like that we'll wrap it up with this coach where can people out there moms and dads that are listening or young men listening that want to have an opportunity to maybe go play football get an education there at John Melvin University and be part of what you guys are doing with the Millers where can they go to get more information Yes. Um, number one, I'd like to put my cell phone number out there. If you're out there, my number is uh, area code 434-509-8543. If you're looking for a place, I'm looking for a Miller man. That's, that's my whole thing. A Miller man is a hardworking young man that's just willing to give it all, not cry about it, but give it all. Um, you can also go to John Melvin uh, University.edu. You can go on there and fill out a questionnaire, but I like my – through my personal number out there. So I want to keep it moving, and I, I'm looking for kids in the local area that doesn't have a place to play right now. So thank you. Like that. Coach, appreciate your time. Brother, can't wait to see what you're going to be doing. Thank you so much. No, thank you guys. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. John Melvin University head football coach Don Lee, he's got the energy. He's got the enthusiasm. I mean, if I wasn't a broken old man, I'd go out there and give him some eligibility. You are young and healthy, fit, and technically you would be a, a grad transfer. You still have eligibility. Are we? Is there a possibility that we may lose you to being one of the Miller men? Give him a couple of snaps off the edge. Situational pass oh. rusher. Let's go. <sighs> Let's go. Yeah, I don't think the body's, you know, ready to <laughs> You don't think your body's ready for that. back to uh, <laughs> the regimen that I've been a few years removed from, but <laughs> a few years removed from like that. Yeah, it's not. I, I look, I love the enthusiasm. And look, it's a huge undertaking, right? They do have scholarships which helps. But look, they're doing this just right down the road in Crowley. Sydney's bringing back their program. They're going to be NIIA as well. Look, there's a need, and you're going to give kids an opportunity to be able to play football, and they get an education. It checks all the boxes for me. We get so focused on the big stuff, really, just being part of a team and being able to get an education. Nothing wrong with that. Poll question of the day. How do you feel about the Pelicans' 2022-2023 season? Final results, 44% of you say very frustrated. 32% say relieved it's over. 24% say what I expected it to be. Who that forever throws out an idea. Sign D'Angelo Russell and Christian Wood. Starting lineup, D'Lo uh, at point guard. Shooting guard, Trey. Small forward, B.I. Power forward, Zion. Jonas, backups. Point guard, Jose. Shooting guard, C.J. Strong for, uh, start, uh, starting forward, Herb. Power forward, Wood and Nance. Our center would be Nance. It isn't perfect, but it's a start. I share uh, a nickname with D'Angelo Russell, but I'm not a fan of the basketball player there. I'll pass on that opportunity. I do like Christian Wood as a rotational guy, though. I mean, if only Christian Wood, you know, he had someone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Brian says, when you have Zion, Michael Thomas Williamson on the bench more than on the court, what do you expect? <laughs> Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well. And Ralph says, time to bring back Pierre. This team needs something that will scare the opponent. After being cleared, Zion should have played last night. If he didn't feel right, he could have gone back to the bench. Yeah, going out there doing windmill dunks. Not the best look. Not the best look. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank our guest, 
We had some good ones today, didn't we? We, we sure ones. did. Wilson Alexander. Wilson East. Alexander. Les East. Corey Sanoa. And Coach Don Lee. Knocked it out of the park. Thanks to all who came by. Thanks to all who called. All who voted. All who took part in the show today. Couldn't have done it without you. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Eiserlow, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.